So some trips of a lifetime, I want you to think of maybe like your most memorable trip that you have ever taken. Uh, some trips of a lifetime stay with us in some kind of a really profound way. I'm looking at some of you. Some of you have traveled a lot. Uh, I love getting to hear about your life and kind of some of your adventures. Um, well, 12 years ago today, exactly, um, a trip of a lifetime stayed with me and a very specific part of that stayed with me, and his name is Eli. Uh, this is us 12 years ago. We landed at SFO, and we waited in the new immigrants line. And so we get off the plane, and if my smile looks like I'm actually really stressed and exhausted, it's because that's what I was feeling in that moment. Uh, it's a long trip from Ethiopia to San Francisco, and there were all kinds of adventures that came along with that. Um, and so here's me and Eli, and yeah, we we enjoyed this trip, uh, but enjoyed um, life after it much more than the actual travel part. Um, so let me take you to Ethiopia for a second. Um, absolutely stunning land, um, beautiful, beautiful people. Um, don't even get me started on the coffee uh, in Ethiopia. People always ask, what's the best coffee? I say, hands down, it's Ethiopia. Um, while I was there, I, we were driving around, and as beautiful as it was, um, I saw poverty in Ethiopia unlike anything I've ever seen before. I've spent much time in Mexico. I've traveled to some different places, uh, but Ethiopia consistently ranks uh, sort of the bottom percentage uh, in terms of health and in terms of, of wealth, and it shows. It just shows in sort of the places that we are at. And as we were driving around with our driver one day, we came around the corner and it was like, ah, like the, the skies parted and this gorgeous green lawn is there and this building is there. And our driver highly said, you might be interested in this place. This is the U.S. Embassy. And so I'm like, wow. And it was just sort of cool to see this thing. It just looks so incredibly different from everything else. Um, and I'd love to show you a picture of it, which I took but I can't because it was erased off of my phone or off of my camera by a guy holding a gun. So the exchange went like this. We're driving along and then all of a sudden our, our car gets pulled over and um, guy with body armor holding a gun says, he kind of leans in, he's an American guy, speaks perfect English, and he says, first time in Africa? Guy in flip-flops holding a camera says, um, yeah. And he goes, yeah, so you can't take pictures of the U.S. Embassy. Hand me your camera. Yes, sir. So he took it. He knew well how to erase pictures off of phones. I think this wasn't his first time. Um, and so that was my introduction to embassies in other countries. So just a little pro tip for you. If you're going there, maybe ask in advance if you're allowed to take pictures. So the embassy if you don't know, is the place where ambassadors and diplomats conduct business in a foreign country. And I've actually been to several embassies over the years. An ambassador is someone who's from one country, they're now in another country, and they are representing and deal with things on behalf of their homeland. And friends, I'm here to tell you, God tells us that's who we are for Christ. We are ambassadors for Christ. Unless you sort of go, yeah, I've heard that, I've seen that verse, I actually think this will blow your mind this morning. I think this will really, really uh, open some things up, so I want you to lean in and listen up. So just as I needed some orientation, being in a brand new country as a foreigner, um, when you are in Christ, you are a new person. And there's sort of like a new people orientation that needs to go on. Much like freshmen on a big campus, there's orientation needed. We don't know where we are. We don't know exactly what's happening. It's easy to get lost. And so we are walking through this whole idea of how to be living in this, uh, this new country as now foreigners because we're new in Christ. The series is just that. It's for brand new people as well as longtime disciples. We've taken the question that Jesus asked his disciples when he said, who do you, disciples, say that I am? We're taking that question. We're sort of flipping it on its head. 
Because the most important thing about us is what God says about us. That supersedes our feelings. It supersedes the voices that are in our head, maybe put there by wicked people or just misguided people. What God says about you is the most important thing about you. It's our orientation. We turn and we say, this world, there's something way bigger than us that that our whole universe is revolving around. It's not us. And that's a huge sigh of relief. People are wanting to make it about them, and they are being crushed by the burden of that. So ambassador of Christ, that's what we are told that we are. It's not just what we do, but explains who we are. Monday night at dinner, our dinner time conversation um, turned to the idea that perhaps Kaya, my 13-year-old daughter, is royalty. She might be a princess. She might have royal blood. You see, she's from a part of the country of Ethiopia and from a region called Gondar. And Gondar um, used to serve as the capital of the Ethiopian Empire. And if you go there, there are still castles to this day right here in Gondar. So we're sort of sitting around our dinner conversation going, Kaya, maybe you're like, maybe you're royalty. And her name Kaya means of the sea. So princess of the sea. I mean, that, that could be a movie coming up. We, we love the sound of that. I want you to grab hold of the idea of ambassador and synonyms would be a diplomat, a representative. So I want you to grab the idea of ambassador and then maybe a much more familiar idea of prince or princess. We have tons of prince and princesses stories around going on. Not so many maybe about ambassadors. That may sound kind of stodgy and boring and sort of like, yeah. So I want you to take the idea of ambassador and prince or princess and sort of merge them a little bit. And those kind of give us the idea of what we're talking about. Second Corinthians chapter five, starting at verse 17. Let me just read it. You follow along with me from the scriptures. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, Here it is. We are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that's Jesus, so that in him, Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Man, that is a meaty passage. As disciples, we are all ambassadors for Christ. This title image, if you look at it, shows sort of two maybe edges of society. Most of us will not end up in halls of power that you could watch on closed-circuit TV to watch all the dealings going on with people making policies and laws and all that kind of thing. And most of us probably won't end up in halls containing jail cells, right? Um, So when you look at those two things, uh, you say, yeah, I probably won't be in either of those except as a tourist. But think about this. Jesus Christ and the Apostle Paul share this in common. Both of them spent times in both of these kinds of places, places of power and places of prison. And what's powerful is we are ambassadors no matter where we are located and no matter what season of life that we're in. We are ambassadors. We are representatives. Listen to Ephesians 6.20. This is Paul writing. For which I am an ambassador in chains. This is when he's writing in prison. He's gone to the places of power, and he speaks boldly and powerfully there. They don't like that, so they put him in places like prison, where he speaks boldly and powerfully. And then he says, for which I'm an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. What I want to give you this morning, if you're taking notes, I just encourage you to write these things down so you can review them later. 
Sometimes notes hit you later on in the week or later on in the month or a year from now uh, that you don't need right now, or so it seems. I'm going to give you four things that are true of every ambassador. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to kind of lay out like actual, physical, real ambassadors, diplomats, and spiritually speaking, what it's talking about. Here's the first one. Like all ambassadors, we are representatives of our king and country. And there's no higher calling. This citizenship comes with incredible honor and privilege. I don't know if you were catching up with people, but a lot of times you go, hey, so what's new? How are you doing? What's going on? And a lot of times, I was born and bred San Jose, so I just live and breathe the air of Silicon Valley. And you know what people in Silicon Valley are focused on? Making it. I'm making it. So you go like, what's going on? Well, I'm trying to make it, okay? Um, how are you doing that? Well, I'm hustling, right? Hashtag win every day. I'm trying to make it, so I'm killing it. It's like, I, I just go, man, that all sounds exciting. I'm exciting, but exhausting. Let me sit down. So, so people are, are after it, right? Four tips on how to make it and all these things. And, and maybe if you never define that, you never actually know when to get off the treadmill. That's part of the burnout problem that's going on. But people want to make it. I was playing, um, I was leading worship with a, a really talented, talented musician. And we spent a lot of time practicing and, and we were tight. And so musical terms, that means that we were clicking. We were starting to sound, starting to sound good. And what was great is when all of that is happening, you can really be freed up to worship. And he said to me one time, after a worship set, he goes, man, if we keep working hard, we could really make it. And instantly, I turned to him and I said, brother, we've made it. Like we are leading worship for God's kingdom people in a hurting world. And we're inviting them in. We have made it. We were leading worship for about 50 or 60 people once a week. We've made it. Now, what was in his mind was something much grander in a different direction than what a worship team is there to do. We have made it. So ambassadors, we've made it. Now, as a representative, it matters how we dress and how we carry ourselves. It just so happens that APEC just happened. We live in a really fascinating place, by the way. So in the Bay Area, we have had all these ambassadors and diplomats from all over the world come, like world leaders coming to the Bay Area. And it mattered how they dressed. It mattered how they carried themselves. I saw this little article about some, I don't even know who it was, someone at In-N-Out, some like world diplomat at In-N-Out, and someone's filming them from behind, like they eat hamburgers. Yeah, they're real people. Like they just go to In-N-Out. And what happens with diplomats... Um, almost all of them have on their lapel of their little business suit or whatever they might be wearing, the pin of their country, showing the country that they represent. And while they look differently, some might come with a headdress, some might come in traditional clothing, some might wear the pin, the result is the same. That it's really, really clear they are there as a representative for king and country back home. That means they are there sitting at this table, listening into all the different languages with their little microphone, with their little name card saying, I am here representing and I have all of this backing with me and I am here for the policies and interests of my home country. That's what an ambassador is there to do. I want you to notice something that in these meetings, none try to blend in. And none of these world leaders came and tried to take on the language and mannerisms and customs of the Bay Area so they could better be heard. Instead, they said, no, we come recognizing we are in a foreign place. The Bay Area is not our home. I'm here from a foreign country representing foreign interests and ideas. I'm here as a guest, so I'm going to be very polite and respectful, but I'm not going to take on the mannerisms of the Bay Area so that you will somehow listen to me. At best, that's kind of off-putting. If all of a sudden a guy from Saudi Arabia who's usually covered head to toe shows up in baggies and flip-flops and like, yo, dude, that's off-putting? At best, it's suspicious at worst. Like, why is this guy doing that? That feels like there's just a total disconnect of what's happening. Here's what also isn't happening. No one, when the heat is on, starts to slowly cover up their pin. To be like, 
I don't know what's wrong with that country, right? They're not taking their pin and trading them like at Disney. Anyone at Disneyland trading those pins? Yeah, I paid way too much money to stand in line to, to trade pins. That's just me. I want rides. I want adrenaline. That's why I'm there. But no one's there going like, hey, let's swap pins. No, no, no. You are there representing your country. That's what you do. So all of this speaks loudly to the Christian. We aren't ashamed of our pin. We don't try to copy those who are around us in order to connect with them. And here's one more thing. Putting on a pin doesn't make you a citizen of that country, does it? So putting on the pin doesn't make you a citizen of the land. uh, But as citizen, you gladly wear the pin. We had a baptism last week. You know what baptism is? It's the pin ceremony. It's like you are gladly wearing the Jesus name now publicly. And you don't take it off. You don't trade it. You don't hide it. You don't turn back on it. So Christians dress appropriately as ambassadors. What are Christians to do? We're to put on Christ and to put off the old self. That's Bible language for saying taking off the old and putting on the new. This is our memory verse from last week. A brand new you with brand new ways and brand new desires and a brand new destiny and brand new power to live in this new you. You ought to, as a Christian, we had this read at the very start of service. You ought, as a Christian, ought to live in such a way that if you're in relationship with people long enough, they think that your ways and customs are really odd. They seem really, really different. Sometimes they will come out with this. You are brimming with hope when your circumstances are garbage. Why? Why on earth can you be brimming with hope? Or how about this? You can't contain your joy. What's up with you? Why do you do that? It's Monday. Don't you know what the weekend is and what Monday represents? What's wrong with you? Maybe they'll say this. You're in school. You're in a classroom. You're in a relationship. And they go, man, you fail with so much grace. Why is that? Why are you able to fail and not have it devastate you? What's going on with you? Hey, you aren't striving after all the stuff. You don't seem worked up like others do around these things. What is going on? The answer for the Christian is this. You really want to know? Behold. Behold! The new has come. Remember our skin cells from from last week? How long does it take from a skin cell being born in the lower parts of your body to being a dead skin cell that you are right now breathing in other people's dead skin. How long does that take? Anyone remember? What do we got? 28 days, about a month, right? You are ever new physically. That is just biologically true. God designed that into you. But spiritually, there's a whole new reality. I love our memory first. If anyone's in Christ as a new creation, the old has passed away. It's gone. Behold! The new has come. This week, I've been beholding. In my mind, I've stopped and I have beheld things. I beheld a sunrise and just thought, behold, a new day is here. Why? Because God said it's going to be here. Behold, a new person is standing in front of me. Why? Because they're Christians. They're in Christ. You actually can't help yourself. You are literally new every 28 days. Plus or minus, uh, you know, uh, depends on how the trillions of cells are going. Um, the old me. What's the old me? What's... Uh, The old me was this, dead, walking uh, only and always in in sort of sin circles, following the course of the world, which the world is being led by Satan. But now it's new me. I've been made alive uh, by being united with Christ. He raised me from the dead. He elevated me to an honored place in his kingdom. And now in Christ, God is showing the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness in Jesus Christ. As you share that good news, you could tell someone that could be your story too. This is all in Ephesians 2. It's all I've just done. Paraphrased Ephesians 2. That's our story, is that we're made brand new. So here's the reality of being an ambassador. You actually can't help yourself. As a representative, uh, you are representing God, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent. Like you just are. People want to know what Christ is like. They should rightly look to Christians. 
That's what we carry. That's the pin. Hey, what is a person from that country like? Oh, you're wearing the pin. Let me get to know you. Let me talk to you. Let me interact with you. That's what Christians are. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 5, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who in heaven. Why wouldn't they see your good works and give glory to you? Because you're a representative. You're a Christian. It's always being pointed back to Christ. So ambassadors for Christ, here it is, ready? Represent! Just think about that as you walk out of these doors. I need, I, I am a representative. Here's number two. Like all ambassadors, we are entrusted authority directly from our homeland ruler. I'm always coming up with products. I never invent them, so we're still, you know, we're not rolling in the cash because dad never really actually goes and applies for things. But I had a t-shirt idea. Here's the t-shirt idea. I am a Christian. And then it would have these words. I know a guy. And we're short of trying to think like what the image might be. Like, would it be sacrilegious to be like Jesus like this or me like this? But I know a guy. Right? So I know a guy means this. Hey, do you need resources? Do you need guidance? Do you need help? You need some protection? I know a guy. Right? That's what it means to be a Christian. I have resources unmatched, unfathomable, like you can't even imagine how good it is. Come talk to me. You need wisdom, direction. You need comfort. You need how figure out how things are working. I know a guy. So this is our boast. This is our confidence. We know a guy. That's what it means to be a Christian. This is a game changer. Here's an even bigger game changer. Ready? He knows me. The fact that Jesus knows me, that's an even bigger game changer. Because what I know about Jesus is limited. What Jesus knows about me is unlimited. Ambassadors for Christ. Those three words say so much. Look back at verse 18. Verse 18 says, all this is from God. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us what did he give us the ministry of reconciliation do you hear the authority language he's giving us this ministry of reconciliation all this is from god all of what whenever you read that just you should go back up in the scriptures and read ahead of it i'd recommend you read this whole chapter it's too good to to, to break up but we only have time for a short bit of it In the movie, How to Train Your Dragon, there's a character named Hiccup, and Hiccup's dad says this. He comes up to his son one day, and he's this huge, hulking Viking guy with a big old thing like this, and he goes, you just need to stop all of this. And Hiccup's standing there, and he goes, you just gestured to all of me, right? And it's really disheartening for him. He's like deflated because he goes, like, stop all of this. Thanks, dad. And it's sort of this part of the movie that that kind of goes on from there. And what's in this verse that all of this is from God is actually just that in reverse. Instead of disheartening, it's actually really exhilarating. All this is from God. And God would do this. He would gesture to all of you. You are a brand new creation in Christ. But his arms would go bigger. All this is from God. And as you trace back every good gift in your life, it's from the master. So we have authority to speak God's message and to live out his love. We live in a culture that says um, really loudly, who are you to tell me what to do? Who are you to preach your ethic to me? And yet we have bold evangelists on many sides of every worldview you can envision boldly telling you what you should do boldly going into places of power and creating policies and laws dictating what your ethics ought to be so it's a curious time that we live in when someone says who are you to try to tell me anything what gives you the right to try and push your ideas or ethics on me you could just sidle up to them and go Yeah, well, I'm an ambassador for him. 
That's why. That, that's how I can tell you these things. I'm actually on an assignment from God. I have authority from God to love you well, to wield well for your benefit. My mouth and my body and my hands and my resources. That's what gives me the right. Now, those you are dealing with can decide all kinds of things, and they do. Many will outright reject that authority and let you know about it. Been there? I hope so, because that means you're an out loud Christian with a little pin representing Christ. Like you're just out there, and people are increasingly bold to contradict you. So people can outright not recognize your authority. Some may get mad at you, not just your message, but your customs and ways. If you watch the news all during APEC, all kinds of protests were going on. It was like a protest party. There's so many world leaders from so many different things that all these different groups with grievances were shouting and yelling and all kinds of things as the diplomats were all walking into their meetings every day. So people get mad at your message and your customs. Some may rejoice and respond with humility and gratitude. Might join you in your campaign, become ambassadors themselves. Here's what I want you to hear. If you're a Christian here this morning, listen carefully. What I want you to hear is this. Whatever the response, be it good or bad, it is not you or your message or your authority being accepted or rejected. It's God's. We have this ministry of reconciliation from God. It's so hard to be in a conversation, have people reject Christ and not take it on personally. Anyone else there with me on that? It's difficult. You know, I've been doing for the better part of my adult life this right here. I preach to people and some of you go like this. Some of you go like this. Some of you just go like this. You don't care. You're not trying to fake it. Some of you are like this. I preached at a church a couple of weeks ago, and I told them, I'm like, man, it, I just kept looking back. Like, I wasn't really nervous, but I just kept preaching back to this one woman. Turns out she's an advocate for foster the city. I was there to preach on foster care. So she was all in. She was like this, uh-huh, uh-huh. I tell my kids, one of the, one of the pressures on a pastor kid, I say, hey, laugh at my jokes this morning. And that's when, I, that's when I'm not confident. I'm like, I don't think they're that solid this morning, so I need some, like, canned laughter. So you guys got me from the front. You guys know this, uh, who've been here a long time, but I was a paper boy for a long time. West San Jose, kind of a West, Westgate shopping center. And, um, and this is just so instructive. Every, every day I delivered the news. I didn't write the news. So I just rode around on my little BMX bike, chucking newspapers all over the place. And when I went to collect the money, you know what I was? I was a representative for the San Jose Mercury News. Perhaps the only representative from that giant establishment that they read from every single day that they would ever meet. So I never really remember this happening. If it did, it just went over my head. But if someone came to me and said, hey, I hate the editorials in the San Jose Mercury News, what would I say as a paper boy? Anyone? I don't know either. I, mean, I don't know what I would say. I'm like, uh, I just deliver it. I could try to pass it on, but I don't think my manager, who wasn't very nice, would care much. But I'll try. I do work for the San Jose Mercury News. Here's what's interesting. As a paperboy, I felt absolutely no pressure or need to alter the news, edit the news, take responsibility for how the news was going out. I wanted to faithfully deliver the news. You know when I did that? I did it when it was raining. I did it when it was sunny. I did it when it was freezing cold. I did it when it was pleasant, uh, kind of a pleasant summer morning. I did it on Christmas. I woke up at 5 a.m. and I delivered newspapers. Why? Because my role as a paperboy was to deliver the news, not create it, not edit it, not even take responsibility for it. That was way above my pay grade. I want you to do something as a community group this week. I want you to find the facts of the gospel in this passage. There's so much condensed facts of the gospel in this passage that you ought to pull from and have just sort of at the ready. Because it's there for you to establish, to enact this ministry of reconciliation that you are in. All right, let me give you the third one, that we are on a mission. This is true of every ambassador. 
Look at verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Listen to this word. We implore you. Do you hear the urgency? We implore you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. Wake up. We implore you. You've got to get this message. It's so important. But I don't like the message. Yeah, I know. I, I don't like it all the time either. But God said it. So I give it to you. I deliver it as it's handed to me. This passage, 2 Corinthians 5, 20 to 21, is so important we need to memorize it. So uh, I'm going to have people come around right now. We've been memorizing a passage each week. You may have recognized uh, that verse 17 in this passage was last week's memory verse. Anyone get it? I won't, I won't quiz you right now on the spot. We do this all the time in our house. But I hope you're taking these cards and memorizing. Go ahead and pass those out right now, Dean. Uh, this is our memory verse for the week. These two verses paint a really powerful picture. We have a mission. What's the mission? Reconciliation. And with that mission comes a message. Here's the really, really bad news. The really, really bad news is that reconciliation is needed in the first place. Some of you who are married in this room uh, may recognize this. You're in sort of just a setting, whatever it might be, and there's just all kinds of communication going on, but not a whole lot of words. And husband or wife says to the other, what is it? Is it me or is it something else? Now, right now, that spouse is telling the other spouse, hey, buddy, or hey, sister, you are putting off all kinds of vibes that you're upset about something. Let me give you a word of caution right now. That the very next step, the very next words out of your mouth, the very next part of your body communication that's going to happen is massive. Is this little interchange going to ruin the rest of the meal? Is it going to ruin the rest of the outing? Is it going to take you out for a week? So in these moments, these are the moments where we just go, and right now, my very next step is really important for reconciliation. So one spouse is getting the vibe that something's wrong and says, hey, is it me or something else? Let me say this to, oh, let me, let me carry this a little bit further. Um, maybe, there's, maybe there's silence right there. If there's silence in that moment, is it me or something else? And then you say, what's wrong? And then the other spouse says, nothing. Then we actually know it's me, right? Then now we know it's not the boss at work or else they would have freely talked about it. Now we know it's me. And this is where, again, this is where things get really, really, really personal. So I would say this to the men of the room. To lead your family in such a way, catch this, that reconciliation is easy. Make reconciliation easy in your household. How do you do that? You do what the book of James says. You're one who's quick to listen, slow to what? Speak and slow to anger. That's a great starting point. You want to make it easy to reconcile for your family? Do that. Steer the emotional climate in your family by growing in your approachability. I hope you thank your wife. I hope you thank your kids. I hope you thank your neighbor when they bring a fault of yours to light. Even, catch this, if they do it in a wrong way. Hey, I want to thank you for bringing it up to me. It's always a grace to see your sin. Wives, Don't hold sin over your husband, your kids, your boss, your friends, your neighbors. Remember that Jesus already took the punishment for sin. You don't have to exact more punishment on them. Husbands and wives together, parents, make it easy for your kids to come and talk to you about their stuff, about your stuff. I want my kids for as long as they can remember. They go, yeah, I've never really remembered a time where it wasn't easy to just come and and talk to mom and dad about things. This isn't easy. This 
ministry of reconciliation gets practiced in the home. This ministry of reconciliation gets practiced in homes that come here and form a church home. What are we exporting as a church? If we're not practicing this here, this ministry of reconciliation, why would we want to export that to others? Hey, be reconciled to God. You're not even reconciled to your friend, to your spouse, to your kids. There is obvious wrong that has occurred between God and people. And honestly, only the most hardened heart like deny that. But here's the reality. Things are far worse than most ever imagined. Just listen to Genesis 6 for a second. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth. And he saw that everything they thought or imagined, listen to this, was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry he had made them and put them on the earth. It broke his heart. Things are far worse between God and mankind than people even imagine. It's not that just we're a little off with our maker. It's that things are shattered. And so what do people do about it? They run and hide or they try to lean on their own devices to sort of make themselves right or righteous in their own eyes. The Bible uses the term self-righteousness. And in that, they look like a team of defense lawyers sort of coming to their own defense in a big case. Let me take you on a quick journey to the Old Testament. My son Eli is reading through Genesis right now, and last week we read through this chapter of the Bible. There's a guy named Jacob. He had a twin brother named Esau. And who was his dad? His dad was Isaac. Two weeks ago, Andres mentioned Abraham and Isaac. So who is his grandpa? Abraham. That's the Jacob we're talking about, okay? Let's learn from our elders. Why is the Old Testament written? In part, so we can learn from them. Think about reconciliation and the need for it and how it went in Jacob's family. Don't raise your hand, but if you had some awkwardness at Thanksgiving this year, join the club. There is just awkwardness and difficulty and And that table, that scene that we see sort of Norman Rockwell uh, is filled with all sorts of little subplots going on. You want to talk about family awkwardness? Man, Jacob could relate. He cheated and connived his way to trick his older brother out of his rightful blessing. Remember they were twins? I bet his defense went something like that. Yeah, technically you're my older brother, but it's by like a few minutes So what does it matter if I get the blessing that the oldest deserves? You're not really older than me. Can you hear it? You must not have younger brothers. I have a younger brother. That's exactly how it goes. So he sort of has tricked his way to this. Here's what's more. His mom helped him cheat. Family dysfunction is most often a team sport, right? It's not one person. It's not that one crazy uncle that's causing all the issues. Man, there's just networks of sin that can go hold of things. So he took hold of that which isn't his. That's a fancy way of saying he stole it. He stole the birthright. What's Esau's response? Brother, come here. Let's hug it out. I forgive you. No, it's I'm going to kill you. And it wasn't like just like, it wasn't like we say it. It's like I'm going to kill you. So what does Jacob do? He bolts. He heads off to the far country. I'm out of here. Why? Because my older brother is mad. Why is he mad? Well, let's not talk about that. So Jacob goes off and he runs away. That's how he handles the reconciliation needed. Have you been there? He goes to the far off country. What is Seattle and LA and San Francisco and New York and Miami? It's people who've run as far away as they can. They hit an ocean and they stop. Like, we'll settle here. Home is back in the Midwest somewhere. Home somewhere else. I want to get away to the far off country. God's working in the far off country. He's working in the far off places. Jacob builds his family and his wealth, and both of these are marked by deceit and sin. He hasn't changed. Running away doesn't change the need that you have. Corruption runs in the family. His uncle Laban's a real piece of work. He's not invited to Thanksgiving because he's such a deceiver. 
Jacob decides to get back at him by building wealth at his expense. And then God comes to Jacob and says, go back home. On his way home, what does he do? He wrestles with God in human form. He is wrestling his whole life. He's just at odds with people. And now he's facing Esau. He gets word that Esau is out looking for him. He's coming for him. And Jacob does something that we often do. If running away doesn't work and we have to face something, all of a sudden we strategize, we implement, we start to run scenarios, we start to get strategic in how we are going to handle things. You know what he does? He takes his entire family, his entire estate, all of his employees, all of his family, and he says, okay, line up, one, two, one, two. He numbers them down the line. He says, okay, all the ones over here, all the twos over here. Here's what he's thinking in his mind. If Esau's going to wipe me out, he's only going to wipe out half of me. I'm going to split all of my family and wealth so he can't get us all. He sends them on ahead. All right, ones go first. Do we have to? Yes. When you go and meet this guy named Esau, tell him who you are. And then we'll have the second group go. And don't worry, family. I, your courageous leader, I'll be right behind all of you. Coward! He's such a coward, right? I mean, imagine the conversation after all of this. Why'd you make me a one, by the way? What's up with that? That doesn't build intimacy and trust. Here's what's amazing. Even after a warm welcome of Esau, Esau says, no, 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 no. All of that is behind us. Even after that, the reconciliation should have been there. Jacob can't help himself. He doesn't know how to do relationships without blowing the whole thing up. How did he leave Uncle Laban? He blew it up. He just took off. It created more problems. Now there's reconciliation. It's right there set before him. What does he do? He just messes it all up. Listen to this carefully. Jacob can't help himself. He can't help himself. His nature is that he's a deceiver, a conniver, and a wrestler. He wrestles with people. He needs reconciliation with his family. He needs reconciliation with his extended family, with his business associates, with his God, with himself. He has broken relationship in every way possible and every way imaginable. But God pursues and works, listen carefully, in spite of Jacob, not because of Jacob. God's grace pursues us, reconciles us, takes the shattered things and makes them whole and beautiful, not because of us, not because of our brilliant scheming. Our scheming is dumb and wicked and makes things worse. The Bible's the story of what God has done, not what you have to do or need to do to make it right. Now catch how complete this reconciliation is. God takes his name, his identity, watch this, and he marries it to Jacob. Do you read in the Bible where you see this phrase over and over and over again? The God of Abraham and Isaac and who? Jacob. God takes his identity and he puts it, he intertwines it. With this deceiver. Won't take time to get there, but Israel is in the news every day. You know how Israel got its name? This guy, Jacob. Jacob, the deceiver, the wrestler with God, became Israel. That's his new name. That's what God gives to him. Go check it out. What a display of grace that is. Let me give you the fourth one, and we'll wrap up with this. Like all ambassadors, we all fail. I'll take you back to the U.S. Embassy. I'm back there now. This is a second trip, and my camera is safely tucked away in my backpack, so there's no threat of taking any pictures. And I am there in the U.S. Embassy in Addis Ababa, capital of Ethiopia. And I have an appointment. It's the final step 
to where uh, there's a little series of questions that a worker for the U.S. Embassy is going to ask me to ensure that I'm a safe person to legalize this adoption with my son. Eli, come on up here for a second. By the way, you guys sometimes wonder this. I always, without fail, ask my family, hey, can I, can I do this before we do this? Uh, I don't ever use examples of you or my family without asking. I want you to give it up for this good-looking, strapping young lad. I will tell you, I will tell you two things about this guy. From day one, I'm feeling his muscles right now. He likes to show off his muscles. That's a little side pro tip for him. He's got some killer muscles to show off. But when he was little, when he was in this room with me, when he wasn't crying, he was cooing and smiling and laughing and having a great time. And one point he was up there. He's known this story many times. But there was a little rickety crib that was here and he was on the bedside and he goes like this and he's leaning on it. And I'm sitting right there. And I go, buddy, you're going to fall. And it's rolling like this. And I just like, you know, dad, I'm like, let's see how long this kid can hold on. So he goes like this and he falls off the bed and he's hanging with his arms from the sink. And, it, and I'm like, look at him like, what baby does this? Like, I thought he was going to start doing pull-ups. And he sort of sat there for a few seconds and he's kind of like looking at me smiling. I'm like, yeah, buddy. Anyway, I rescued him. But not only is his arms big, but when he was little... This glorious head, he was, he was disproportionately large in the head, heavy in the head. And you know what we had to do in this embassy? We had to spend, I don't even remember anymore because I was delirious, but probably the better part of four hours in a um, polished like floor, just way bigger than this room. Tons of people there waiting to do things. So with Eli, I'm thinking of every game we can possibly do to pass the time. He doesn't know me well. I don't know him well. And while we're sitting here playing, let's just reenact this. This will be kind of fun. (laughs) While we're sitting here playing, we were playing and stuff and whatever else. And I was like, woo, woo, or doing whatever crazy dads do. And all of a sudden, top heavy Eli experiences what I now call the thud heard around Ethiopia. This head cracked on this polished floor in this echoey place, and it sounded like it just went boom, 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 boom. And I'm horrified, and I scoop up Eli. And what did Eli do next? You guys have heard Eli. He's loud. All right, give it up for Eli. Get back. Mind you, I am waiting to hear from someone who's going to ask me questions like, are you fit to take care of this child? Should we leave this person in your care for life? (laughs) I think so. (laughs) Ambassadors, hear me really clearly. You will fail. I scooped him up. I knew everything I did to just comfort him and calm him down, calm myself down. Let's bring it together. We tried to just settle the situation down. You know what I knew? I knew that I wasn't there to, to do something for me. I was there on a mission from God. God hears the cries of the vulnerable. He sets the lonely in families. He does it through his ambassadors. I was there on official business. Yes, for the U.S., but way more for God. So I don't even know what I prayed. Again, I was delirious, but I know I went to prayer right there and tried to calm him down, tried to calm himself down and say, God, you're in this. I'm doing business for you. Would you help me right now? I don't remember the questions I was asked, but evidently I passed or she felt sorry for him. I'm not sure which. But stamp, stamp, stamp. It's all official. And then hours later, I'm in the new immigrants line in San Francisco, starting our just incredible life with our new son. Let me have the band come on up. I want you to think about this for a second. Just maybe close your eyes to capture these final thoughts. Our message, our message is this, that God isn't mad at you. God loves you. God isn't mad at you. He loves you. 
He's made a way to be friends again. If you're here and you're unsure of your relationship, where you stand with God, lay down your gifts, lay down your strategic plan to get it right, lay down your travel plans to get far, far, far away from God. It's all been done for you. Like Esau, the one who was wronged, God is out looking for you. Not to bring punishment, but to bring you into right relationship. Like Esau, there's an army with God. But it's not to destroy you, but to escort you safely home. God, you have given us the gift of reconciliation. To enjoy to walk in, to rest in, to identify as. God, it is our orientation that we are made right with God through a person. And not just any person, the person, Jesus Christ. And so today, like every day, we've, we've put on Christ. It's like a robe to cover our nakedness and our shame so that we might become the righteousness of God. And so, God, you've given us this, and I pray that as ambassadors we would go. pray that as ambassadors we wouldn't camp out in the embassy and twiddle our thumbs. We wouldn't camp out where it's safe. But, God, that we would boldly go where you send us, which is to the uttermost parts of the world and across the street. Perhaps those who are most ready to fill up this church are those who seem least interested in God. Maybe those who need to be sitting here are those who seem most unlikely to be in a church on a Sunday morning. God, fill us with a broken heart and an eager body to go, Jesus, as you said, to the highways and to the byways and to invite in to this feast. God, we love you and we thank you for not only the reconciliation we have, but the ministry to share it. Amen.